the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Liebson, and I am joined in studio by Lewis Hallman, who is, of course, the managing director of Insight Analytics. He's usually here with his father, Hugh Hallman, but Hugh is in uh, Kazakhstan. Yep, that's right. And may call in. We will see. Well, what time would it be in Kazakhstan? Uh, I believe it's like five thirty or six thirty in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Right, Very so unpleasant. Hours. Un- uh, ungodly hour. Is it tomorrow or yesterday? Uh, it is tomorrow. Oh, so he can tell us what will happen. Uh, presumably. Yeah. He can give us the lottery numbers. The exactly. Kazaki. The Kazaki. Right. <laughs> <laughs> lottery numbers. We have the Hallmans here every Tuesday in our third hour to talk COVID and politics. Uh, I guess the question I. I don't know. I want to start with, I suppose I'll just open-endedly put it to you this way, Lewis. I, I was thinking, there's this weird tension. COVID's over, COVID's not over. You know, there's this weird, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? There are people around in our lives. The feeling kinda, of a permanent emergency. Yeah, yeah. There's either a permanent emergency or or we're just done. And And you wonder when it's going to stop being a headline. But today... COVID is the biggest story of the day because the CDC uh, has announced new guidelines with regard to masking and vaccination. And I got to tell you, I just think this was all pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And I think they've really bungled it. And I think if you want to create more new phrases, right, neologism, vaccine hesitancy. Was that a phrase a year ago? <laughs> Vaccine. No, I, I, I don't think so. Maybe in tuberculosis circles, maybe, but maybe, maybe. So here they put out. Did you see the chart? Totally unhelpful. Should oh, we go through I, it together with yeah, the audience? I, I don't think I've actually seen this chart. Let okay. Me... So if you have been vaccinated, you can walk, run or bike outdoors with members of your household or alone without a mask. If you're unvaccinated, you can do the same. So all this point about shaming runners in Santa Monica or Central Park, who bikers and runners who didn't wear masks, the CDC says, shame on you for shaming them. You don't need a mask. Because as Dr. Fauci said yesterday, the chances of getting COVID outside are minuscule. Minuscule. I want someone to write an essay. I know I'm talking too much. I want someone to write an essay, Lewis. What did Anthony Fauci know and when did he know it? Because we've known this for a year. So the more I read about Anthony Fauci yeah. and, and the more I become familiar with sort of the interplay of vaccine development and government regulation, the more I am convinced that Anthony Fauci is effectively the J. Edgar Hoover of American public health. Okay. He has been an institution for oh, wow. good, maybe good analogy. 40 years yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know, something like since the since the 90s, at least. I, I don't know exactly when he started, but well, he was here for the AIDS crisis in the 80s. Right. So. Okay. So before then, even yeah, coming coming up on on a serious length of time in yeah. government, and you know, over the time he was in government, we had such things as say the um, 
oh dear, what was it called? It's the Boyle. Uh, it was an act that effectively allowed um, universities and uh, government agencies oh, to own patents on vac- the Dole Act. Yes, yeah, the Bob, Bob Dole gave us. Yeah, this. exactly. Right, the Dole Act. Excuse me. Uh, and tell them what it did. Yeah. So, so it, it allows uh, universities and uh, government agencies to own the patents for pharmaceuticals that are developed, so that effectively the pharmaceutical industry would no longer be the only. Uh, entities capable of monetizing them, and so it would would encourage the development of good research in universities and, and within the government. However, um, since that was was instituted, uh, people in those agencies and universities have been able to receive royalties for patents that they hold. Okay, and Dr. Fauci himself, uh, his agency. I believe, holds somewhere on the order of 2,200 of these patents. Uh, But Fauci himself is on this monetization gravy train. There was actually a fairly large incident in 2002 for a drug, uh, let me see if I've got it here, called Interleukin-2, which was a a cancer drug that had issues causing suicidal ideation in test subjects. The people being given the drug were not then told about this, and the inventor, at least on the patent, not the initial filing of the patent, but subsequently changed to be, was our friend Dr. Fauci. And so right after this, uh, Dr. Fauci claims that he is going to give all of the remuneration he's received for this money to charity. We are never told which one. We are never given any tax returns here. And then going forward, the amount of, of... Royalties that one can receive is capped at $150,000. But this practice still continues. Fauci and many others in his administration are still receiving royalties for the very vaccines that they are responsible for rolling out. Let me let me pause on this for a quick second to give people an indication of what this means. I'm looking at a CBS News story. Perhaps you stumbled on it, too, from about 15 years ago. Okay, more than 900 current and former scientists at the National Institutes for Health legally collected nine million dollars in royalties from drugs and inventions they discovered while working for the government. That's what we're talking about. Right. Yes. And are then, you know, often in charge of advocating for and advancing these very same drugs for which they are paid royalties. It's a wonderful cocktail of perverse incentives. So we have this character sort of in charge of our of our health organization, our response to this virus. And, you know, we're getting inconsistent, bad policy continually. Contradictory. And, and it, it doesn't seem to be making any sense. And, and indeed, it seems to be eroding our ability to trust government and expending its political capital far too quickly. And so, you know, just in, in, in regards today where we're now being told, I think you and I were listening just before the show started, hearing that the CDC expects us to be under permanent COVID uh, uh, guidelines. And one of the reasons for this is that the the vaccines don't really treat COVID. They suppress symptoms. What's more, we get new strains continually emerging. And so our our solution that we have been told, the target that we have been shooting for for the last year of get a vaccine, go back to normal, has really not been a very well thought through proposition. And it's elusive. Right. Because as soon as we have the vaccine, that is at best a short run solution, because when a new strain comes along, your immunity may not be retained. 
And then all of that effort, all of that waste is gone. And so we have to ask ourselves collectively, at what point do we say enough is enough with the permanent emergency? When do we get our liberty back? Yeah. And what kind of a vaccine is it? Here's back to the chart that the CDC gave us. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got you completely off track. No, no, it's on track. Fully vaccinated people in one column, unvaccinated people in the other, and what, they, when and where they can dispense with the mask. A fully vaccinated person has to mask, according to the CDC, if they attend a crowded outdoor event like a live performance parade or sporting event. Can you imagine you're standing outside at a 4th of July parade, assuming Joe Biden allows us to have 4th of July? Right. And he's not talking about big gatherings, as he told us, so maybe there won't be any 4th of July. It might be a 1619 celebration. There might be because we have over 100 scientists who have said that even during COVID, racism is as important as COVID protection. And you should go out and march for it, right? So maybe. But look at this. If you're vaccinated, you have to wear a mask to go to a hair salon. You have to wear a mask to go to a shopping center, to ride public transportation, attend a small indoor gathering of fully vaccinated and unvaccinated people. The question becomes then, if you have to mask in a room of fully vaccinated and unvaccinated people, why do you have to be the vaccinated one? What difference does it make? At this point, you're bo- you're all half- having to mask and social distance. I- I'm increasingly asking that question myself. Right. You know, th- there this, does... this is the biggest campaign for vaccine hesitancy. There seems to be legitimate short-run benefit to vaccination, yeah. although there are drawbacks, and I'd like to get into it more later. Sure. But in sort of a long-run equilibrium sense, it doesn't seem to me that, that this is a solution any more than a flu shot is for the flu or it should be seen as one and we get rid of the damn masks that would be one of the two right it's like we have what did jefferson say we have the wolf by the ears and don't know whether to hold on or let go so we have this problem philosophical problem with the vaccine which is it's either this incredible miracle that shows off an amazing amount of american can-doism and ingenuity and stick-to-itiveness over something that's more effective than the flu vaccine, right? Or it was so much ado about nothing. My money is on the ladder. T- Pardon? My money is on the ladder. So can you talk to us about that and what the problems with the vaccine are? And Let's do what, it. Yeah, what you did this weekend researching all that because you and I don't have lives. This is what we do. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Lewis Hallman. Happy to take your calls to 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Phoenix, power increases are coming, and I'm asking you to stop giving your money away to the power companies, especially if you're interested in going solar. And if you are interested in going solar, there's only one person to reach out to, and that's my friend Solar Sandy, who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona and did something else, too. She actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way. And solar, Sandy, is the right way. Read the testimonials on her website, AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. She can see you by Zoom or appointments are available with her in person as well. And if you sign up with Solar Sandy now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year. And you will receive 
a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right. No solar panel payments, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. That's AskSolarSandy.com. Tell her Seth sent you. I'm delighted to have Lewis Hallman, one of my favorite people, in the studio, as I do every Tuesday in our third hour, along with usually his father, but his father's in Kazakhstan. We talk COVID. We talk politics every Tuesday. And I'm running this by you, Lewis, because there's this odd thing about the vaccine that Americans aren't sure what to make of it, I don't think. And I think it's the government's fault. You have a political problem where a large part of the political class doesn't want to admit to the wonder of the vaccine because it was done at Donald Trump's uh, impetus and urging. Sure. That's, that's par- problem one. And that's why you saw Kamala Harris during the campaign saying she wouldn't take a vaccine right. under Donald Trump. With a very different uh, uh, note now that she is in yeah, office. very different. Very different note. One almost wonders if they didn't think they were going to win. Yeah, it's almost as if the the uh, uh, avarice and greed t- trump human virtue. Almost in as if. Almost. As if. So there's that problem. Then there's the problem of those who might be inclined to support Donald Trump who think it is a great thing that he did this incredible, ingenious, record-breaking vaccine in under a year. On the other hand, yet yet if you can give me a third arm. On the other hand, third hand, you have this issue of people not sure whether to get a vaccine or not. And if they do, what will change in their life that incentivizes them to get a vaccine? The idea behind a vaccine is that it makes you um, resistant to, if not impervious, depending on the, on the, on the scale and the, and, the, and the efficaciousness of any given vaccine, to the virus. Thus, you would think... You could go to a gym, go to a restaurant, go to a barber, congregate with family and friends without a mask because you've been vaccinated. But they won't tell you that, which raises really kind of a weird pregnant question that I think a lot of people kind of have in the back way back recesses of their brain. Are we going to read like in two or three years that this thing just wasn't a thing? I mean, the vaccine. I, I really do wonder how the history of these times is going to be written. You know, just it, my, my perspective on that seems to change month to month Me dramatically. Me too. Um, and so. Anthony you know, Fauci's mind and guidance changes month to month. Right. You know, uh, uh, but in, in terms of, of whether the vaccine will, I mean, I think it is a fairly large technical accomplishment. Yeah. I think it definitely has utility. But again, I think that in any sort of strategic societal living with COVID sense, I think that that utility is rather painfully limited to the short run and that we have to be pretty much continually updating this this vaccine for whatever the newest strain that we are dealing with is. And so it is not a 100 percent cleanup solution, right? There was this goal back at the beginning of the pandemic to eliminate or eradicate COVID, Mm -hmm. to go back to a world before COVID Mm -hmm. existed. And I'm afraid that that door has fully closed on us. You mean it'll never, uh, we're never going to attain that. Right. And and so we need to either reduce its lethality, understand its lethality better, and, and, and then also, you know, kind of acclimate to the 
the emotional reality of living in a world with one new disease where we have this scary force in the world now that we have fundamentally very little control over. How scary is it, though, now? It was scary a year ago. It seems it seems comparably flu-like scary. I don't right. find it very scary because I am young and healthy. Right. I'm sure my answer would be very, very different were I 85. Or fat. Or fat. And I think if we had a serious campaign, by the way, you can't prevent aging, but you can prevent obesity. Sure. It's a preventable Right. Dis- I mean, there, there are lots of things the and government— 78 percent of the hospitalizations and deaths from COVID are right. obese. So, so, so there are lots of things like that that we could be doing. And there, there are, the problem with a lot of the responsive policy to COVID is that the vaccine has kind of been hijacked as a, as a cudgel with which to coerce the American public's behavior, right? right? You just brought it up that we want to get the vaccine so we can have our freedoms right. back. But no. But they shouldn't have taken those freedoms away to begin this. That's and now right. they're extorting this with their, with their return over this vaccine, which may or may not be efficacious in the long run. Well, that's right. And there's this whole vernacular that seems to me really odd, and I know you'll have something to say about it. So Rochelle Walensky is the CDC director, and she said today, quote, today, I hope, is a day where we can take another step back to the normalcy of before. Over the past year, we have spent a lot of time telling Americans what you can't do. Today, I'm going to tell you some of the things you can do if you are fully vaccinated. Where in the hell did I miss in civics class or schoolhouse rock the fourth branch of government, the CDC? Right. The CDC director gets to tell us what we can and can't do. Her words. Right. She thinks she can. I don't doubt there are Karens in this country that hang on to her every word and live by it as if it's coming from Olympus. But I'm guessing most Americans are saying, who the hell is she to tell me what I can and cannot do? And who the hell is Joe Biden to tell me how many people I can have at my 4th of July barbecue? And encouraging and increasingly, I suspect more and more Americans are just ignoring her. Yeah, I think so, too, which is a dangerous thing. I mean, it, but they've done it to themselves. Right. And that's also why I, I'm, I've been so discouraged by a lot of the response to this. You know, not only the, the, the flip-flopping, but also the obfuscation. So it if the vaccine is a short-run solution and if it has all of the drawbacks that I've listed, why has no one from on high made this clear up front or earlier? I mean, it, why set us up for the inevitable betrayal of our expectations that will follow, just as it is now going to, that we're all now rushing to get vaccinated, we're going to be vaccinated, and yet we will still see COVID cases of new strains and various other issues pop up? Why set ourselves up for that failure and that loss of political capital? Thus far, the vaccine, aside from side effects, seems to be efficacious, seems to have made a difference on, as far as we know right now, numbers of people who get COVID after vaccination are are minuscule. I will contest that uh, uh, when we return, I suspect. Oh, would you? Okay, good. Because I wanted to build a theory around that notion. And I'll tell you what that is, too. And you may convince me that the theory holds no water. So we'll try that when we come back. It's two people trying to figure this out. I mean, it's just uh, we spent a lot of time studying this. You've got to model these conversations for everyone else. I know, but we're confused having studied it in depth. You've got to wonder what the average Joe is thinking. And he's probably laughing at his government, which is also unhealthy. I'm Seth. He's Lou. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 
Lewis Hallman is my guest. He is the uh, managing director of Insight Analytics. Excuse me. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, Got the hiccups during the break. And it's like my uh, very first show. (laughs) So maybe, maybe what I should do is turn it over to Mr. Hallman and Mr. Hallman for a moment. If I'm not mistaken, the miracle of technology brings us Hugh Hallman in from Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan or some kind of stan. Hugh Hallman, are you there? I am here. I'm in the same stand, is how I like to refer to Kazakhstan. Yeah. Uh, I am here working uh, on my 28th year of education programs here, and uh, I've been doing this since before Lewis was born. Well, it sounds crystal clear. Uh, Lewis and I were talking about vaccine, vaccine, I'm sorry, I have the hiccups, vaccine, vaccine hesitancy, and, uh, and, and the, new, the new announcement that was made today by the CDC about masks and vaccines, Hugh, and I, I was just, you, your son and I were ma- making the point, again, forgive me, we were making the point that um, if you wanted to create vaccine hesitancy, this government has done an awfully good job of confusing the situation and um, not making it at all clear what it is a vaccine does for you, even though they are pressing and shaming you into getting one, as much as they pressured you and shamed you into wearing a mask. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, buddy. I do, and I'll cut in and out uh, quickly because you guys have real stuff to talk about. From my perspective, this trip is clarifying even further uh, my thinking on vaccines and masks. I have had to produce my PCR test uh, now six times at different places in airports, including in the U.S., and, of course, I've been vaccinated. So why would one bother getting vaccinated if one then has to get a PCR test, spend $300 because it's got to be done within 72 hours of arrival? And since I was flying to Kazakhstan, it had to be done twice. My plane was canceled thanks to JetBlue. And uh, I then got to spend another $300 the next morning so I'd have a PCR test. That's the kind of thing that creates not only uh, uh, vaccine hesitancy, but anger. And, and this, again, falls into a lot of where, what we've been talking, that the the benefits of the vaccine are limited, are more limited in scope and scale than what we may have initially been led to believe, in that you know, the, uh, having a vaccine against the base strain may not help you against the new uh, English strain or the Brazilian strain, for instance. Uh, and so, you know, we, we're really in a kind of precarious position here from from a an efficacy and policy perspective um the other thing though on this is that um there are a lot of gaps in the data uh even when the uh, when pfizer and moderna were filing uh for the emergency use uh application with the fda that they, they only had the most basic of corollary measures saying that these vaccines stopped uh, uh, new cases in and around uh, uh, between seven days and two weeks from the, the administration of the dose, depending on whose report you're reading. But both reports, both companies in those filings noted that they had no data with the efficacy of the vaccine for youth, people under the age of 18, no data for the efficacy of those over the age of 55, let alone 65, no. Uh, no data for the uh, prevention of mortality from COVID-19, no data on the prevention of transmission from COVID-19, and uh, uh, otherwise um, no data on, on the, the impacts on uh, pregnant women. So 
the well, Lewis, I, I would argue you're arguing in the wrong direction. I would say that all of that just adds to the weight we've been putting on things, that the overstatement of the risk from COVID-19 is caused us all to decide we had to have a vaccine in order to survive. Then people shifted from understanding that the only point was to slow the spread so that our hospitals didn't go to overwhelmed. Now it's on a new, the goalpost had been moved to stop the spread, which is impossible. This is a disease that's now endemic in humanity. And the kind of misleading use of numbers that the CDC continues, (laughs) the immediate past director of the CDC just put out a statement that you have a 1 in 50 chance of dying if you get COVID-19. What? That's, of course, only true if you're, oh, that's exactly right. What? A 2% chance that's true, but only if you include everyone over 65. Oh, my God. Most uh, of us have a very small chance of dying. That's the kind of crazy we're dealing with. the most with. naive Gentlemen, statistics. Yep. i got to take a quick break. Are you going to stick with us, Hugh? I don't think I can. All right. Gentlemen, well, it's, it's nice to hear your voice, and I like the proof of life. Pleasure. All right, brother. Lewis and I will maintain the helm when we come back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, just a quick follow up to Hugh Hallman's phone call. He he texted me. Lewis's point is, 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 is a very important one. The vaccine data was weak and it was oversold as a solution. And now that the discoveries are being made that it's not as good as they touted, they have to require other safety precautions in order to save us yet again from their own vaccine. Exactly. Why should we t- trust them about anything? Well, that, that's precisely what I, what I have to wonder is that, you know, as I say, the old adage that uh, one should never let a crisis go to waste seems to be because a crisis is the main point at which a politician can enrich and, uh, enrich themselves off our backs or engage in their radical powers. transformation. Exactly. Right. Revolutionary uh, causes don't come when everything is just fine. Right. Right. And so why then do we see this this constant extension of the covid permanent emergency? Well, the crisis has to be longer. Right. And as we've just seen, why would you pu- why would you push for a vaccine that might not work? Well, it helps if you get a fiduciary advantage from doing so. If you own, say, the patents and get royalties off of them, then not- that might be a wonderful incentive to encourage you to ignore the well-being of the American people and simply pr- pursue your own interests. That would explain contradictory policy. They say that you shouldn't expect malice when 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 idiocy excuses it, but there comes a point when we go back and forth over this so many times where sheer ignorance is no longer becoming sufficient to me as an explanation. I wanted to ask a society a rhetorical question, maybe not rhetorical, and I did it in the first hour, but you may want to throw some shade on it or not. It sounds like you might, and I'll adapt to what you say because you know this better than me. But the, the two rhetorical questions I wanted to put out was – one, especially in light of today's CDC changing guidelines, one is can anyone in the masking community who has masked tell me that they haven't gotten COVID, that masks prevent COVID? I don't think they can. I have known too many people who – and I have read too many columns and I have seen too many superstars, frankly, right. 
say things like, I did everything right and I still got it. Please wear a mask. Well, what? Even if they, <laughs> what? Even if they claim they've done everything right, in all likelihood they haven't. They've uh, probably touched their eyes obviously. or you know done something. Uh, We're all human and right. fallible. Like right. the, the probability that you will make an error approaches one as time goes you know, towards – toward Well, so there's certainly that. But I just think there's the odd incongruity of they who say, I wore a mask, I social distance, I still got it, so please – Wear a mask and social distance. Yeah, right. I, I no, just, no, that, that absolutely is, is a. I don't know what that would be called. What kind of fallacy that is? But too quokey? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, I'd have to think about yeah, it. The, the moron we, fallacy. We may have to invent one? one. The COVID fallacy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one hypothetical. And then the other one um, that I wanted to ask was: Can anyone substantiate that once you're vaccinated? You are subject to getting COVID, and I, I thought the answer was fairly strong. You're saying hold the hold the phone. Well, we we, we are getting more and more data from oh. more and more states uh, that uh, even high proportions of groups. I saw a story about a group of 35 nuns that were vaccinated, of whom 28 were reinfected, no an 80 percent rate. Wow! So, I, I would urge us to not count our chickens before they hatch. Here, it will take it would take time. For new strains to propagate and come through, so again, vaccines seem to be very effective, at least in the short run, in sort of the same seasonal way that a flu vaccine is. Again, there's that inevitable comparison to COVID and the flu yeah. that I can't help but make. Um, but on the other end of it, I, I think that one part of this that concerns me is that our uh, our vaccine adverse event reporting system is not very well designed. Let me tell people what that is. This is. <laughs> that's that's cute. Post Karen, ergo propter Karen. That's the fallacy he wants to call. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that. That Bill, Bill, that was Bill's brainchild. Post Karen, ergo propter Karen. Like that's the, that's the fallacy of COVID uh, logic. Okay, good. Uh, the point I was going to make, I totally lost it by that. The the vaccine uh, adverse event. Yeah, reporting uh, system. system. So every drug has a reporting system that the federal government sponsors. And when there is an adva- uh, uh, what we call a side effect in, 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 in common parlance, but an adverse effect uh, is the reporting system that uh, if there's a side effect, dramatic side effects, they report up to this, this to this uh, to this uh, administration. And you're telling me it's not there. Well, it, so it, it's all done through a website and everyone who, who takes the vaccine, if you experience the side effect, you're expected to go to this website and Fill out, fill out a little report for yourself detailing what your symptoms were and what the issues were. And I'd only ever heard about this today. <laughs> well, or, or, or a couple of days ago, rather. And so it, it was really weird to me that uh, they would expect that this is a useful tool for gathering data if no one knows that it exists and no one's entering anything. So to date, we've had about 248 million doses of the COVID vaccine go out in the U.S. And we only have about 80,000 uh, uh, adverse uh, effect records entered that is an ad that's a 0.03 percent adverse effect rate for symptoms including things like nausea is that good that's really i mean that's a horrible from a data compliance stand, oh, standpoint is. because that what that means is that no one's entering everything so there was there's a harvard study done about this and they actually estimate that the actual rate of adverse effects are a hundred times greater than what is being entered into the tool oh, wow. so we're really getting almost nothing Including in that tool right now, though, there are 2,500 listed deaths. I am I doubt very highly that deaths are underreported by the same factor as everything else. It makes kind of an intuitive sense to me that the most severe complications are likely to be re- reported at a higher rate, but there likely is still some significant underreporting going on. 
but to what extent we just can't answer that. And so we are very obviously not getting the full extent of uh, uh, what the drawbacks to this rushed policy application might actually be. We don't know what the trade-offs are because we've been lied to about what they what they, they could be. There's a um, there's a lot of ingredients I've thrown in today's stew. I'll I'll do one more. And I don't know what you said that made me exactly think of it, but it's been on my mind for about a week, <clears throat> and it's uh, something Dennis Prager said, which is I am amazed. He said at the magnitude of people who are. so vociferously forceful that everyone has to get vaccinated right. over a thing that has not been approved by the FDA. The intellectual arrogance of that certainty is something to behold. And they are the same people who would not let him use hydrochloroquine, which has been on the market for 50 years with no side effects hmm. and FDA approved. Fascinating. I, th I think it's interesting. Yeah. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us and forgive me with those hiccups I had in segment three. That's a danger that I live with all the time. And it's only affected the show twice, once today and once on June 30th, 2014, which was <laughs> my very first show, according to Bill, my producer. When I had hiccups throughout, they lasted. It just happened. I don't know why I'm more subject to it than others. But uh, Lewis Holman is a man who doesn't... Uh, stammer or stumble. Take us home, Lewis. So one of the, the big consequences from all of this that, that you've brought up a number of times is the growing uh, incredulity with our own government, right, that we no longer uh, are, are beginning to take them seriously. And you actually earlier, when we were sort of on break, you brought it up that this might in fact be a bad thing, that, that one of the consequences of this is that right. we're seeing right. less faith in government. Right. Right. But to my thinking... That actually is a one, perhaps the only big benefit of the COVID pandemic, that we treat those above us who are so quick to strip away our liberties and shutter our businesses and otherwise uh, control our lives with more you know, incredulity. We need to be very careful of those people. Maria Rothbard wrote an essay entitled, Do You Hate the State?, and where he, he made the point that people on the fringe of politics all too often argue over dogma and doctrine when what they really need to be asking themselves is, do you hate the state? Do you want to prevent the systematic looting of your culture? If so, now is the time. Lewis, can we um, put a bookmark on that and get into it deeply next Tuesday? I'd, I'd love, love to. to do that. I would too. Yeah, I know you would. That's why I uh, I never ask a question I don't know the answer to. Actually, that's not true. Uh, folks, really, truly, thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Thank you for the leeway in my third segment where it sounded like we were broadcasting from SeaWorld. Until tomorrow, God bless you and class dismissed.